Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Well, church, um, we're in the series Builder. I believe this is the fourth installment of the series Builders, and I'm going to preach the series Builders until Jesus returns. Not really, but really, because this is what the kingdom is about. This is what the body of Christ is about. The body of Christ is about building something at all times, at all places. If we're the hands and feet of Jesus, then we're called to be doing something. And that doing something is, of course, the preaching of the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission. But all of those things don't just stop there. There's no point in being an evangelist and getting people to meet Jesus if no one is going to be there to take them on to become more like Jesus. Somebody should say amen to that. Because we've been, we, we've been harping on this for years, and we'll never stop that part. Salvation is a wonderful experience, but it's just the beginning. It's just the first step of what we hope will become many steps in our, con- in our conformation to the image of Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, the title of today's message is The Process. Everyone say The Process. It'll help you remember it. The Process. And uh, there's a lot of history behind everything that God has done in this world. And if you think about that, it's profoundly wise. Um, not really. I mean, like, there was no history before creation, but everything since creation has, had, has become history, right? Um, and so in that revelation of everything that's happened since God spoke his first word in creation to present day, there are various forms of redemption taking place through every single generation. God is always preserving a remnant of people. God is always working the plan of salvation out with and for people. And I think that that would be obvious to you because because of the need for redemption, it is tied uh, very specifically to our present and then, of course, our past as well. Because of the things I have done, I am in need of saving. Because of the things I am doing sometimes, I am in need of saving. Because of the things I probably will mess up on and do in the future, I'm still going to be in need of these, this redemptive power of Christ that he, 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 he built into our lives at the cross. And I'm still amazed at all of that because the whole process that we're in is the process of perfection. And It amazes me that God chooses to use us to build his church even though we are imperfect. And and it amazes me, I think, because the process of building anything in life is so connected to the process of perfecting. Whether you're building a house or or some of you are car or truck guys and you've rebuilt vehicles, what, what are we going for? We're going to this image of finished perfection, whatever it might be, and we start the process with the end in mind. We start building a house, we start building a church, we start building a marriage, we start building a family, hopefully with the end in mind, and it becomes a process of perfecting until we are complete. And this is exactly what God's vision for our life is. He formed us in our mother's womb. He knows our our deepest heart, our deepest parts. He knows exactly how we're knit together in that seclusion, in that secrecy. And from that moment on, from the moment, I always come back to it, from the moment God dreamed us up, we are actually entering a process of perfection. Now, not that we'll ever be perfect on this side of heaven, but the process of 
perfection, the result of us being made holy, is what's happening around us. And I need you to understand, church, as we're in this series, but even more importantly, as we are beginning to tackle a, a building project, we bought the land, we've we started to clean it up and prepare that ground so we can understand where buildings should go and what the future might look like on that piece of property, I need you to always come back to this, that there is a process of perfecting taking place in the body of Christ. I just spent a week at a great pastor's conference with great people, great worship, great ministry, great word. But I also spent a lot of that week talking with friends who are going through very, very difficult times. And I have to say, one of the most common themes in people in ministry, leaders, going through difficult times, it's the process of people failing to always understand that this process is one of perfecting. Leaders will fail. People will fail. Followers will fail. Everyone is going to fail at something sometime. But that's not the point. The point is that from day to day, from glory to glory, we're being changed to become more conformed or more like Jesus, more conformed to the image of the Son. And God did, the Bible says, predestine us for that. Those he called, those he predestined to form or to conform to the image of the Son. And that's what God is always doing in our past, our present, and even will continue to do in our future. So wherever you're at this morning sitting in church, whether you really want to be here, whether you don't, whether you're a good leader, a bad leader, whether you're a half-hearted Christian or an all-in Christian, it doesn't really matter to me because today could be the starting point of your realization to say, I understand now that it's a process. And it's a process of being perfected, and the only way to get there is to walk it out with Jesus. That's it. That's your only option. And... By the way, Jesus fully intends you and I to walk out the process of perfection with him and in relationships, specifically the relationship of a healthy local church. Specifically, and it's important, more on that in many other sermons in the past and in the future. Uh, Ephesians 4.13, let's read this together. This is about that idea of getting to look like Jesus. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of of the fullness of Christ. How big a measure is the fullness of Christ? Anybody want to try to guess? That's the whole measure. That's right. My mother is a very wise lady. It doesn't matter if it's a cup or if it's a gallon or if it's a, a cubic meter. It doesn't really matter. The idea here is that whatever you can understand today is the measure of the fullness of Christ. That's where we're going. That's what God is trying to bring us to. And if we're willing and we're complicit in going along with the Spirit of God in that, we will, by the way, get there sooner than later. It's those of us who struggle to remember that the process of our perfecting is what's going on every day of our lives that end up kind of repeating the first grade over and over again. Or the third or fourth grade. You pick. I don't know which one you might have failed or if you did or didn't. It doesn't matter. But the process is about bringing us to maturity to attain the whole measure of and this is interesting language, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I mean, just the whole measure of Christ would have been simple enough, right, Terry? Like, that's, that's it, that's it. But no, it's the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, that is perfection. So let's stay away for now from conversations about our understanding or abilities to comprehend the details of what God is doing individually and corporately because the simultaneous nature of his working in us is too far-reaching for us to actually understand from the beginning to the end. Wow, that was a lot. What do I want to unpack for you in that thought? Stop, stop getting sidetracked by stupid arguments by your opinion of what biblical philosophy may or may not be, would you please just let the leaders lead and become a great leader yourself? 
so that you too can lead and have people follow you like you follow Christ. I mean, this is where we're going towards maturity. And if we're not going to do that, what we become is, is actually something that causes ourselves and a lot of other people to stumble. I listened to Francis Chan really quickly the other day. Just a, It was a short video, and this is what he said. This was, this, was, this was like shockingly good. I loved it. The problem with this generation is that you think too highly of your own thoughts. Because God's word says, my thoughts are higher than yours and my ways are higher than your ways. And what can happen to all of us is we can get caught up in the thinking trap, thinking that we're in process, but really what we are is just, well, we're rolling around. I don't know what the Greek word for poop is today to use for this appropriate moment, but you can make one up and we'll call it good. How's that sound? Shitso? So, it, that's not a real Greek, Greek word, just so you guys know. But it's my real Greek word. It's, it's, it's my truth. Oh, that sounds terrible. Anyways, shitso. Um, I just, we just need to stay away from it. I just spent time putting another leader that I love back together. Because everybody wants to abandon the process that Jesus has us in for some other process that I don't know what they imagine. Because it's not bringing anyone closer to Jesus. It's not building the church. In fact, the process that many of those people want is actually just dividing the church. And we're seeing genocide, a complete genocide in some churches of a whole generation of leaders over issues that, I mean, good grief. These, these issues, in my opinion, are settled. And they're done, and we're not going back to it. Um, and this is what I mean by saying that we got to stay away sometimes from all those conversations because we got to be about the work that's at hand. And Nehemiah and Ezra and Solomon and David and Moses, if they could come and give us a lecture on what that looks like, they would all be able to lecture very well. Because every one of them in their own way dealt with their own hearts and dealt with the hearts of other people who were for them but then kind of turned against them because they didn't want to be in the process anymore. But remember, it's a process of being perfected. And at the end of that process, one day when we stand before God and the perfection of Jesus is made complete in us, it's going to be a great day. So we can look at the history of God's people. And I want us to understand some of the principles that are at work. Now, let me apologize because what I really wrote today is about 16 messages. And then this morning, I'm, I'm literally like, if I had pages to throw out, I would be throwing pages out. But it was, it was delete and take paragraphs away and... I mean, the poor, the poor team back there, I don't even think it looks like there's an end on this message. And No, it doesn't. I just looked again. It doesn't look like there's an end on it at all. But that's okay. Because what I want to do is walk us through some of the, some, just some, of the history of God's people in how they were called to build something and the process of perfection that always seems to take place. Now, now hear me. This process is going to take place in your life, whether you're in this church or not. It's going to take place wherever you are if you're trying to follow Jesus uh, be, because it is the process that he has us in. And you can make it go quicker, and honestly, you can make it go slower to a point. God is sovereign, and he does have a sovereign will. And somehow in all of that, the wonderful mystery of us getting to make things more or less difficult for ourselves is real, okay? Now, 
Some of the more commonly taught principles around buildings are found specifically, just to list a few this morning, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, 1 Kings, and Exodus. There's just, there's just four. Now, you could go and read those entire books of the Bible. You could read specific chapters. You know, Ezra. Well, actually, you have to read all of Ezra to get the whole idea of what he's doing. You really should read all of 1 Kings to get the idea of what's happening there. You really have to read the whole Exodus story to understand why Moses was the was the at times, grouchy old man that he was. I mean, you, you kind of have to get the whole context, which we don't have time for today. So just understand, we're going to, in this half hour we have together, hit some of the themes, okay? Now, this is kind of what it looks like. We see the theme repeated over. Sin is always dealt with. The presence of God is vitally important. And there is a constant need for restoration. Those three things, over and over and over again. I can show it to you in nearly every major figure in the Bible. Those those, those three components to, you can call it growth, or you can call it the process of perfection. I don't really, it doesn't matter to me. So let me say it again for you. We see these repeated over and over. Sin is always dealt with. The presence of God is vitally important. And there is a constant need for restoration, it seems like, in every generation. And I believe that for our church and for our lives, these principles and this truth will always be at play in every day of our lives, in everything we put our hand to. If you start a business and, and you are a disciple of Jesus, there is going to be a process of perfection in you and in your business, I hope. Because I think it's great if we have healthy businesses. I think it's better if we have kingdom businesses. We have people who are building businesses so that the kingdom of God will be expanded and established throughout the world. Enlarge, enlarge the place of your tent. Strengthen your pegs. Lengthen your cords, right? Like the kingdom of God is advancing and growing. It's actually not shrinking away. The more governments and the more celebrities try to push the church down into the dirt, the better the rate of germination is for the seed that's in the ground. Come on. It's, it's an amazing thing to me. When, I get to, when I'm playing farmer out on our farm, I'm amazed. You can take seed and, and throw it and cover it up on the ground, and it will germinate. But let me tell you something. When you take that seed, you throw it on the ground, you cover it up, and then you pack everything down, just a little bit of rain on that, and everything. Your germination rate will be in the, in the high 90s. Everything germinates and begins to, to start a new life. And it's because of that compaction and that pressure. And so we ought to celebrate some of those things rather than run away from them. Because God is about to do something in our nation that we haven't seen in about four or five generations. The, the generation that saw Azusa and the generation that saw the Welsh revival, uh, what happened in Sweden, in the, you know, nearly, what is it now? We're, almost, we're, we're getting to 200 years away from some of these things in their early days. And guys, God is doing it again. And the North American church is a, is a badly, oh man, it's in rough shape. On all sides. On the liberal side, it's in horrible shape. On the extreme right wing side, it's in horrible shape. One of the guys at our conference this past week reminded me with a quote that, uh, that most often that razor thin line between two heresies is what the truth is. This is why you can't afford the arguments and why you can't afford to be turning side to side continually to try and address things. <clears throat> for our church and for our lives, we need to dedicate ourselves and to the understanding of the process of perfection. That we are being perfected. And we are holy now because of Jesus. But we are being perfected. Because of the divine nature that is now in us, we will always be in the process of being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. 
So as we continue to build, as we move ahead with a building project, and what, by the way, it's the first of many building projects. I don't know if some of you are quite there yet. I know sometimes as the guy who's, who's dreaming and getting to do the vision stuff, I realize that I'm 15 years ahead of everybody, and I look around I'm like, where is everybody? And there, Amy's way back there. Come back! <laughs> you gotta, you got to come back to the real world, because there's a lot of stuff that has to happen if we're going to get there. Right. Thank you. Thanks, babe. But this is a first of many projects and first of many opportunities. We bought a generational property for a generational church. Come on. And so, so it's not just about building one and being done. Because after we build one, we get to still be in the process of perfection and build another. And man, I got vision one day that we're going to be building churches for other churches. Why not? Why not? This world needs a few more good churches. It doesn't need more unhealthy churches, but it needs more healthy churches. So as we continue to move forward, let's dedicate ourselves to the process of perfection and being perfected. Not that we work at this and attain it through human effort. Remember that always. Don't be the Galatians. Don't be bewitched. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can do in the flesh what the Holy Spirit began in your spirit. You'll never attain it. You can't attain holiness by the flesh, and you can't attain perfection by the flesh. This can only be done by the process of Jesus making us look a lot more like Jesus. And I know I'm saying it again and again, but believe me, this is going to be so important for the next four or five years of our church, the process of being perfected. Because I'm going to come to some of you as leaders and say, hey, we're not hitting the mark we got to hit the mark. We're not perfect, but we're, we're sure trying to get there someday. You're going to look at your kids as they're growing up and say, son, I love you. We're not hitting the mark. We're going to get there, though. You can do it. I believe in you. I'm for you. This is what God has put in your life to do. Now go and do it. Come on. The process of perfection is going to be something that we think about all the time without becoming perfectionists. And I'm going to add that for my sake, not yours. Because that's a horrible way to live life, trying to be a perfectionist. So, um, I actually said I was going to give you some history, so briefly, let's have some history. Moses built the tabernacle. Why? So that the presence of God could be with the people of God. Right? You remember? Well, you can go back a few series on the, uh, on the interweb, and you can go back and listen to our series on that. But Moses built the tabernacle. Because the people and God needed to be in community. And they set up around the tabernacle. And, and don't ever forget that they set up the tribes in the shape of the cross of Jesus. Yes. Profound. Like, why did that happen? How did they fake that when the four old men got together to write the Bible just to enslave people? <laughs> don't forget, that's, that's the high and lofty thoughts we battle against that are raised against the knowledge of God in this age. But you read it, man. Six, Sixty-five thousand individual cross-references in Scripture. You don't, you don't just sit down and weave that by human effort. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, so Moses builds the tabernacle so the presence of God to be at the people. And, and what happens? Well, the people greatly sin. Right. And 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 I mean, I. I I would like to think that if we were having meetings here and the presence of God descended in this place like smoke, like a cloud, and 
and, and we were experiencing the shaking of the ground, I would like to think that we would leave this place and never sing it, sin again. But history has shown over and over and over and over and over again that's actually not what happens, and that's because we're not perfect. But we are in the process of being perfected. Even in the Old Testament, by the way, there is, conform, there is conformation working to bring humanity into the image of the Son. It is there. That's why we can say all those Old Testament books, they all point to Jesus. It's all coming to Jesus. It all, it all is fulfilled in Jesus. So Moses builds the tabernacle. The presence of God is there. That's all wonderful. The presence of God comes. Shortly after that, the people of God sin greatly. Many times. Many times the people sinned. How about Solomon? Did they get better at Solomon? Well, no, not really. David and Solomon, you know, David kind of did the whole preamble for the temple, but Solomon actually gets the credit for, for building this temple. They call it Solomon's temple, but it actually never was. It was actually a temple for the Lord. And, uh, and well, what happens? Well, they wanted that because God wanted a dwelling place with his people. Everybody can come to Jerusalem. Everyone can get into the, the presence of God. Everyone can come and offer their sacrifice. You know, we're going to centralize the faith. We're going to make it easier for people to get real good at being churchy. Right? And how did that work for Israel? Well, it didn't work that well. Even Solomon's own household couldn't stay together for a whole generation. I mean, his kids were doing terrible things to each other. His own son tried to take him out, have a coup to overthrow him. Absalom. I think of my son Logan with his proud hair that he wears all the time. You know, careful son, don't ride donkeys through thickets. <clears throat> and some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. You've got to read your Bible more, okay? You can Google it. It'll get you there. It's, it's easy. It's the easiest cheat in the world. You can actually Google it and get there uh, based on the few things you might hear me say today. Um, so we got Solomon. Well, how did that? That didn't work that well either. And ultimately, after the temple is built by Solomon, Israel ends up messing up so badly that God says, you know what? Scratch this. You haven't been respecting the rules enough. You're out of here. He, God throws them out of the land. To Babylon you're going. And, and I love the passage of Scripture that explains this, because if you don't think that rest is important, you have missed so much of the whole Bible, it's not even funny. Forget it that you can't even function. I mean, some of us are walking around day to day just like zombies. Brain. You can't smile. You can't focus. You can't keep your eyes open. And, and there's this profound lack of rest in God's word and the commandments is remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Remember to rest. Well, what happened to Israel, the reason they got sent to Babylonian captivity for 70 years was because they had ignored the Sabbath rest of the land. Like, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Here's, here's God. Okay, I see that you're committing adultery with each other. That's not good. Oh, and there's some more idols standing up. Now we got idolatry. You murdered your brother. You murdered your sister. You want to murder your mother-in-law. Which I feel like, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> she could be watching this morning. <laughs> and I love her so much. My mother-in-law is a wonderful lady. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, all these things are happening. There are bad, bad things going on. But what, but what is it that finally tips God to the edge? That is it. You have not been letting the... You, you are so messed up, you're not even letting the dirt rest. Now, we could just camp here for a moment, if you'll permit. Because this is what entraps most people in our society today. 
Men don't run around and just jump into affairs because they're addicted to affairs. Most often, these kinds of sins start way, way, way back here where everyone's ignoring appropriate rest. And a big ulcer, a big hole starts, an abscess starts to develop in the relational heart of a person. And then they're looking to fill it with something. And had they just, had they just had a nap on Sunday afternoons? Oh, Pastor Travis, that, that sounds too simple. Let me, let me tell you about the higher thoughts of God. They are, they are often not more complicated thoughts. They're just the things that you think you're too good to do. That's his higher thoughts. Rest. I don't want to rest. I'm tough, God. Don't worry, I got this. Rest, son. Or you're going you're gonna to suffer the same fate as my people did principally, and that when you ignore rest, you're going to fall into other sin, and you're going to find other problems, and you're eventually going to end up, you're going to be a captive of that sin. So Israel spends 70 years in Babylonian captivity. This is what the Bible says about it, 2 Chronicles 36, 15 to 21. Then the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again, saying, again and again by his messengers. God says it again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all to his hand. All the articles of the house of the Lord, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then he burned the house of God broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned, the, and, and burned all the fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all of its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon and they were service to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land has enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days of its desolation. It kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Midst all the things that Israel was doing wrong, the thing that actually drove God to say, okay, that's it, was the command about rest. His ways are higher ways than ours. Do you understand that God can do more? God can do more on the day that you rest than you can do an entire year of toiling. He can do more. God can do more while you rest. God can do more while you sleep. God can do more while you catch your breath than you could ever possibly imagine you could do by yourself or even with him. Among all the sins, the idol worship, the intermarriage, they broke that Sabbath commandment and lost everything. Anybody feel like you've been there? I have. I have had or been very near to two or three nervous breakdowns in my life. I've shared that with some of you before. You know what that comes from? A lack of rest. There's a price to pay. Death always finds us because of sin. Because the wages of sin is death. 
Now, the gift of God, on the other hand, is eternal life. And maybe you can shift your thinking with me this morning. But if we dedicate ourselves to the process of perfection, if we understand the principles of simple things like rest, maybe, just maybe, because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are much better than our ways, we will actually find eternal life in the commands he's given us. It's just principles. I'm not trying to create a a, a concreted doctrine on any of that. I'm just saying if we follow the principles of God's Word, quite often we see the fruit of following the principles of God's Word. And it's a lot simpler than you think it is, and it's only complicated because, well, generally our pride. Do what God says. Do it the way God says. Worship Him according to His preferences, not yours. The end result will be much better for all of us. Now, we might feel like we've been there, like Israel, thrown into Babylonian captivity. And this is where I can't give you all the Scripture because we'll be here till tonight sometime. But, if you will, as Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride says, it's too much, I'll sum up. That oh, accent was bad. Don't worry, don't worry about it. I know, Jana, you're still a Princess Bride fan. Yes, you are. I knew you were. Um, okay. When they got sent to captivity in Babylon, here's what God told them. Okay, guys, you're grounded. You're in trouble. Yes, many of you have died. Seriously. But here's what I want you to do when you go to Babylon. I want you to get married. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to have children. I want you to serve your masters well. I, I, I want you to be my people. Even though even though I'm sending you to captivity, I want you to be my people. It's kind of like what God says to the church these days. Hey, church, you're going to go through some trouble. I am God. I am not surprised by COVID or the things that are going to happen to you. I am God. I am not surprised by the difficult times that have come to you socio-politically. I'm not surprised that my church is persecuted in all corners of the earth. God, I, God is saying, I'm not surprised by any of that. But what I want you to do is be my church. That's what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to grow the things around you. And if for some reason you are someone's slave, I want you to serve them well. Why? Here's what happened. And here is the process of perfection being lived out in the history of Israel. Who are the products? Who are the generational products of the Babylonian captivity? Well, let's start with a man named Daniel. How is Daniel's life? Anybody here want to live Daniel's life? No, because you know one of the things some scholars believe he was a eunuch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I'm not saying that's for sure the case. It's just I have read. This is the opinion of some scholars, and historically, culturally, it actually makes sense because they would often do that to slaves. What happened to Daniel? Well, Daniel was the guy, if you went to Sunday school or if you have any form of flannel graph in your history. Somebody say amen to flannel graph. Okay, there's, there's a few of us. The Lutheran kids for sure, you know. Okay. Lutherans and Pentecostals, more flannel graph than everyone, I assume. I, did the Catholics, Catholics grow up with flannel graph? Oh my gosh, you guys missed out. It was kind of like cartoons before cartoons were available on country television. Man, it was so good. We got to test it. We used to go to Sunday school, 
and they would put drawings on a piece of flannel on a chalkboard, and the drawings would stick there. And it was, it was so close to being a cartoon. In fact, didn't they have sometimes, like they've made, I think, I think I had a Sunday school teacher who put a little brass brad in the arm so the arm would even go up and down. We saw stuff like that. Guys, it was amazing. Flannel graph, wow. I got it, I got it, wow. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help me. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because the king got duped into making a law that wasn't good for anybody. Political pressure caused a political leader to make a bad decision that worked against the people of God. Sound familiar? Oh. Now, I'm not against the Freedom Convoy. Let me, let me say that clearly. Not at all. Daniel didn't start a freedom convoy. Daniel opened his window facing Jerusalem, and he knelt down to pray as was his custom. For that, Daniel was thrown into a den of hungry lions. <laughs> Yay! Serving Jesus is fun! Well, for those of you who know the story, what happened? As the Lord came, the lions and the mouths were shut up. Daniel spent the night with the lions. The king comes running out in the morning to see, oh, Daniel, you're still here. Yay. Amazing. Who else was there? Who, who, who else is the byproduct, or the, maybe it's not the byproduct, but actually the product generationally of this Babylonian captivity? See, I'm speaking to the restoration process, the process of perfecting that God brings his people through. Their names are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. You might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who once again, because a bad social political leader made a bad law, were forced to start a convoy. No. Although they did kind of start a convoy, they just didn't bow. Everyone else bows. Hananiah, uh, Azariah, and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there, and everyone else is bowing while the band is playing. Those of you who don't know the story... King is furious. Servants of the king are furious. You guys need to bow. They said, King, we're not going to bow. Can't bow to your image. Can't do it. Well, I'm going to make you bow to my image. And they said, they, they, he, the king says, I'm going to throw you in this furnace of fire if you don't bow. And I always have loved this because if I ever get cancer or if I ever am facing death, here is my response. Oh, king, our God is more than able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But even if he does not deliver us, O king, we still will not bow. And I hope that becomes your war cry. Because I'm just a man, and I could be taken out by a bus tomorrow. Like literally, it could happen. I don't know how. I don't go anywhere near buses on Mondays. But it could happen. Come on, anything could take me out. Anything could take me out. I don't know how many days I have on this world, but this is my war cry. I'm not going to bow to kings of this earth. I won't do it. I won't bow to principalities that hold power over this realm because my, my dedication, my heart, my adoration belong to someone who is king over every realm. 
And, and being in that mindset, in serving that king, is what places me in the process of being perfected to conform to his image. I cannot bow. I cannot worship at another altar. I cannot do what the world does. I cannot take the same social stance other people want to take. And sometimes I wish I could. Some of you don't know this about me, but I wish I could be way more redneck at church than I am. I wish I could be way more conservative than I let you know. I wish I could be, I mean, you have no idea what's going on in here. And it's probably best that you don't. Because when we're being conformed to the image of the Son, when we're in the process of being perfected, restraint becomes a word that we live by every day. And if you want to cast that into the fruits of the Spirit, it's actually called self-control. I have something in here on that too, which is really exciting. So we have this process of perfection of Israel. They're, They're letting the land endure its Sabbath rest. They themselves are... Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they weren't allowed to do their own thing. They're basically grounded. And out of that generation comes four of the most amazing men in the Old Testament with some of the most amazing stories. And there are more. But those are among the names. Um, we, we, we then come to the process of rebuilding, and we encounter a man in the Old Testament named Ezra. How many of you have read the book of Ezra? If you did, would you even remember it? Nobody ever preaches out of Ezra. Even today, I'm actually really not going to preach out of Ezra, though we could. But Ezra was one of the ones who got permission from the king of, I think it was Persia at that time, no longer Babylon, um, but got permission to go back with gifts from this secular king to begin to rebuild the temple. And because Ezra went back to rebuild the temple... So the generation begins to emerge from captivity to go back to Israel. Because that happened, a man by the name of Nehemiah is called of God to go then and build the walls of Jerusalem. And what we begin to see is we begin to see a restoration of the kingdom. Now, if you will, this is a little cheesy, but yesterday on the land, this is, this is some of the steps we took. Someone else owned it. We became the stewards of it. We began to tear things down. Why? So that the process of restoration can begin on that piece of property over there because what are we going to do? We're going to build the kingdom of God. Not that the building is the kingdom of God. But it's somewhere that we can build the kingdom and not be in the rain and the snow. That's important in this part of the world. Somebody say amen. Or we can do church outside all winter. I'm good with it. (laughs) There's a few passes and a few celebrations. You're crazy. It's important to travel back and just appreciate some of this context. And I am not proud of this message, just so we can be clear. Honey, I'm not proud of this message. I feel like this message is more of a stew than it is a steak. It's things that have been just bubbling in my heart for a long time. And I'm, tr- I'm trying to throw a picture in front of you today to help you understand the process. Worship team, you can come back. <laughs> God speaks, people respond, something is built, the people sin greatly, and God begins to restore. And this cycle, this cycle turns over again and again and again all the way to Jesus. And then, as far as I can tell, it's continued past Jesus. 
Moses builds, people sin, restoration is needed, incomplete restoration comes. Solomon builds the temple, the people sin, restoration is needed, incomplete restoration comes. The fall of Jerusalem happens. All Israel builds and falls and sins, and restoration comes. I admire that generation that was in Babylon. Because the scripture says this about them. That the sons of Israel were ten times better than all their counterparts. Ten times better. When the kings looked to who could rule, who could lead, who could help, they actually had to overlook their own sons and daughters and look to the sons of Israel because they were ten times better. Under their leadership, under their stewardship and ownership, these secular kings, these, these humanistic, these godless kings, they saw something. And, and I want to connect this to the New Testament for you. They, they began to see things like self-restraint. They didn't gorge themselves at the king's table the way all the other people did. They ate, they ate healthy stuff. They prayed. They had incredible self-control. They were uncomfortably honest. And as I, I kind of was going through this list in my head today, I thought, man, alive, that starts to look an awful, like, an awful lot like the fruit of the Spirit. And I, then I thought, well, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that God's always been working the fruit of His Spirit in His people. The things that got Moses and David in trouble was Lack of self-control. Lack of that fruit in their lives. And the good news is, is that today, there has been a complete restoration that has taken place. You say, well, I'm not quite sure. Well, let me explain it to you. Jesus told the religious rulers of his day, I will destroy the temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. And the Bible has to clarify this for people. Because they don't get it. They don't, they don't get the double speak. Jesus was referring to himself. I will destroy this temple, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. For this morning's purposes, this is what you need to understand. Every attempt of God's people to restore and to rebuild tabernacles and temples and cities was incomplete in its process because it was not Jesus. But we have Jesus walk onto the scene and says, you know what, this is going to be the last restoration of the temple of God, of the kingdom of heaven, of God's kingdom, period. It's me. It's the kingdom of heaven that is now already among you. It is the temple. He is the temple struck down, destroyed, rebuilt by the third day, resurrected to life. And it's because of what Jesus has done that we now have the opportunity to walk in a process of perfection. Please understand this, that no other generations before Jesus ever could have hoped for. Because there was no perfecting power of the cross working in the souls of men. It was the blood of sheep and of goats applied from the outside to address something on the inside. And when Jesus came, that all got flipped upside down. When Jesus came, on the outside of him, he carried our sin and our sickness, and our shame, and all of our, all of our wicked thoughts, all carried by him on his shoulders to the cross. 
And as his body was nailed there, as he was crucified for you and for me, as they plunged a sword into, or a spear into his side to make sure that he was dead, in those moments, there was a restoration taking place that would forever change the process of you and I being perfected. They took Jesus' body down from the cross. They laid it in a new tomb. And three days later, a couple of women were going to tend to his body. And they encountered an angel at the entrance to the tomb. He said, what are you doing here, ladies? We came to see the body of Jesus. And the angel says to them, why do you seek a living person among the dead? Do you understand this morning how much that changes the process? The fact that Jesus left us his Holy Spirit for today. Not for the book of Acts, but for today. He left us his Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to bring to remembrance everything that Christ taught, to live in us, to be in us and with us, to be our comforter and our friend, to be the one who intercedes, who prays through us when we don't have the words to pray ourselves. That spirit, see, it changes the process of everything when it comes to being perfected. You and I do not stand on, on the same ground that our forebears did. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people. In the New Testament, the Spirit comes into people. And He doesn't come once and leave. He comes to stay. And this morning, you might be sitting here in this church or watching online, and you don't have that Spirit of God living inside of you. And it starts with something very simple. First of all, there is only one way to the Father, and the words of Jesus are the words that matter on this issue. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me. He's it. And I figure there's probably seven and a half or so billion ways to Jesus. But there is only one way to the Father, and that is Him. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just stop with, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He is my Lord. I believe that He is raised from the dead. It doesn't stop there. It stops with receiving the life that He has for us and then walking in the fullness of it. And that, my friends, is the process that we want to be in. Whether we're building our businesses, whether we're building our families, whether we're building a church structure, whether we're building the kingdom of God, I don't care what it is. Let the process be a perfecting process because Jesus is the king of your heart. And because you have opened your life to allow his spirit to live in you so that you can have the fullness of his life, the fullness of his power living through you daily. We're going to sing one last song just like we always do. And in that time, we invite you to ask this question to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? It's probably the most important question you're going to ask just ahead of where are we going for lunch. But we're not quite there yet because we got some business to do with God today. Man, 
I want to see this church. I want to see each person in this place. I, I want to see your life unlocked and lived fully for the dream God has for your life. Because it's a higher dream than you've dreamt. I promise. So we're going to pray. And uh, I want to invite you. Prayer team, this morning, I want to I change it up. We've been sending you guys over to the side this morning. Prayer team, I want you guys to come right to the front here. And church, it is appropriate to respond. It's always appropriate to respond to what God is saying in your heart. That might mean that you got to come up here for prayer. It might mean that you got to go to someone and have a conversation that you don't really want to have. It might mean that even though you've let us pray for your sickness a hundred times, a hundred and one times is still the right thing to do. Maybe this morning you actually don't need someone to pray with you, but you know what? It's still right to come and respond. And that's okay. We welcome you to do it. Because it's a process. It's not perfection today. But moment by moment, prayer by prayer, change by change, over time, you're going to be conformed to the likeness, to the image of Jesus. And I can't think of anything more glorious than that. So let's stand together. Lord Jesus, I pray... for every person that's gathered in this room right now. And God, I ask that God, I ask that you would help us to maneuver through the difficult parts of this idea around what perfect is, what it isn't. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would really make it simple, that, that one part for each of us that needs to come through and penetrate our being today. Lord, that you would make it real simple and real plain for us. And then, Lord, that you would give us the courage to respond the right way, the way that is according to your preference, God, not our own preference. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.